Please take your Bible and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're back after several weeks of considering some other things. Our great uh, Mission Sunday a couple of weeks ago, and then last week our annual meeting and the comments from that, also from 1 Timothy, but um, from a different passage of Scripture. Now we're back on track, verse by verse, through... um, this letter of the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus, the young pastor named Timothy, and giving instructions for the, the church of Jesus Christ gathered in that place. First Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 11, we finish chapter 2 today with these words, verse 11, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Father, we are grateful for your word today. We're grateful for how it speaks broadly and generally, always to us with a gospel message. Sometimes it speaks very specifically, but always having a broader application. That is the case today. And so, Father, I pray that as we move through this, we might be encouraged and instructed And in some cases, there might be an element of reproof so that we can be corrected and walk in righteousness as your word desires that we do. And so, Father, I pray for strength and for clarity. Oh, Lord, how I pray for clarity as I preach and for a receptive, spirit-filled receptivity on the hearts and the ears of our hearers today. And I make this prayer for the glory of you, our great God, and for the good of your people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First question that I will ask as we have read this passage of Scripture, and this is important for all of us to see this, who wrote this? Come on, who wrote this? Well, we would say, and I just said a few moments ago, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy as a young pastor at the church of Ephesus. But I want to lay a foundation, not just for this Sunday, but for every Sunday. When I stand before you, when we read a passage of Scripture, we need to understand who indeed is really ultimately behind anything that we read out of this book and why it is so profitable for all of us. And here's what Paul says. Now, we jump to the second letter to get this. And then in the book of Romans, by the way, Romans 15.4 is our memory verse for the month. Did you recognize it? All Scripture. By the way, is this part of all Scripture? Yes, it is. All Scripture is God-breathed. It is breathed out by God. And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It goes on to say, by the way, so that the man or woman of God 
might be equipped, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then we read out of Romans 15, whatever was written in former days, and I'll make a comment about this as we run through this passage of Scripture. It's not just out of the culture that this came, it was out of the Word of God. And that's why whatever was written in former days, Paul was even pointing back further than this, but certainly we can point back to this, was written for our instruction, church, Heritage Baptist Church, that through endurance and through the, work, the, the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And I pray that today as we work through this passage of Scripture, that that's what it's going to produce, is a sense of hope in all of you sitting out there. Let's look at another passage of Scripture, and this is where I, 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 I can relate at least in my intent my heart's desire to the Apostle Paul. Again, Acts chapter 20. If you'll remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that, that Acts, the last part of 18, first part of 19, we get into the founding of the church at Ephesus. And Paul has left, but he's come back, stopped at a little place called Miletus, and he called for the elders of the church of Ephesus. So all of this is connected. And he called for them, and he said a lot of things to them. He, he said, look, after my departure, savage wolves are going to come in. People with all kinds of different doctrines from the religions and the world around you. And that's why he said this is so important. Here's what I did while I was with you. Every pastor ought to have this as his heart's desire. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and anything from the lips of God is profitable. Therefore, I test to, testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of you all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Who better to talk about a subject like what we have just read a few minutes ago, than the one who created everything in the first place. And so that's why a little bit later we come after the, 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 all of the instructions in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and then we get next week into the, the, the setting aside of elders and deacons. And, and we come to the, the end of that before Paul gets into some really good encouragement, some warnings the rest of that kind of thing, and, and he stops and he just reminds the church, I am writing these things to you. Now look, church, this is why this is so important, so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. That is the church of the living God, a pillar and the buttress, the foundation of the truth. God's good plan, and that's why we share a book of the Bible. We go verse by verse through it. Will there ever be opposition to God's good plan? Will there? We go back to that little passage in Acts chapter 20. There will be savage wolves that come in and seek to pervert. Who's behind that? Satan, ultimately. Listen to me. His goal is always to overthrow God's good plan 
and to corrupt God's good and wonderful design by asking a question that has been on the lips of not just enemies in the church and outside the church, but, but unfortunately sometimes on the lips of well-meaning people in the church, has God actually said? So, here's the outline. You've got it right there in front of you. We're going to go through this outline. It is basically a verse-by-verse outline, and we will rip and run through this because I'm going to run out of time, I think, before I run out of sermon. But do not despair. We'll, we'll get through what God wants us to do. First thing, and this is implied. It doesn't say it here in this passage, but by the negation that we'll get to secondly, there is the implication that men must teach and exercise authority in the church. What is specifically stated later in chapter 3 with a setting apart of governing elders, those men who have the ability to teach, those men who govern the church, and it's all through there. It is just like this. There is no deviation from that, but it's implied until we get there by this passage of Scripture that authoritative teaching in the corporate gathering of the church is not shared by men and women. Men must teach authoritatively. I love the Apostles' Creed. I love some of the other creeds. But one of the words in the Baptist faith and message, which we do hold to that as much as is possible, in the 2000 edition of that, it does change. Creeds may change. The Bible never changes. Okay? We got that. But they inserted a part in there that I think is good. Some people think it's not so good. Here's what it says. While both men and women are gifted for service in the church. Everybody say amen. Okay? Thank you. The office of pastor is limited to men as qualified in Scripture. So guys, let me just broaden this out. We should see the headship principle. That, and if you haven't been with us, we laid this out in all of, of chapter 2 of, of 1 Timothy. We laid out the principle going all the way back to creation. By the way, guess what Paul points us back to for this particular teaching? Back to creation. And so the principle of headship, and let me qualify it, Jesus-like proactive headship and then submission and submissive helpership in women is laid out for us by the Word of God. The rule of pastor-elder as leader and teacher is designed and designated for men only. And just as all men, all men, by the way, people might think, oh, this is a sermon just for the women here. No, no, the, the, the principles here point to everybody. Young men, young men, you need to hear this, the principle of headship. And so, Some of you have not even heard that ever before. You're not going to hear it in school, at least most schools. 
But the principle of headship is taught in Scripture, and the principle, young ladies, of helpership is taught so that you can grow into that under the instruction, good, wise, godly instruction at home, and then it's complemented in the church that you go to, hopefully. And so it's across the board. Let's move on to, uh, let's, let's mention one other thing. I, I mentioned the proactive uh, uh, mimicking Jesus in his role as, as head over the bride. And, and here's an exhortation that we're going to get to probably next week, probably next week, the Lord willing. But it stands for all men today. It, it's applied. So I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. This is specific for elders, pastors in the church, exercising oversight. But here's, here's, here's for every husband, every man who aspires to be a godly head according to the Bible, not under compulsion, not simply because you have to, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering, men, over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That not only is an exhortation for pastors, elders, but for all men. Point number two, that was an implication, but let's get to the actual statement. Women must learn. Stop there. That's, that's huge, particularly in this setting in which Paul was writing to Timothy. Women must learn. And then he adds something with all submissiveness and quietness. And this is specifically designed, as we will see and as we have seen, in the, short, the, the corporate church gathering. There is a parallel to this, in case you're wondering. By the way, when something is mentioned as a command once, that's important. But when it shows up more than once, with crystal clarity, then you need to sit up and take notice. And that's what happens. 1 Corinthians, Paul is again writing to the church, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. When was the last time that passage of Scripture was read in church? Now, I want you to see the positive out of this. You're still in 1 Timothy 2, aren't you? Women are commanded to be learners. So, and we're going to see this, so they can be teachers. And that should be obvious but not so much then and not so much even now. You know, there are many religions that, that exclude women from, from teaching. Women were often excluded from the synagogue in those days. Women are often excluded from the primary teaching, maybe to sit in back in most mosques, even today. So you, you've got to see that this was radical. This was absolutely radical revolutionary that Paul is commanding 
I want women to be among you in the, the corporate meeting of the church, and they are to be learners. They are to be men in terms of equality of value and worth. They are to be fellow heirs with you. Well, this is huge. Every husband would see this. Every man who leads would see this. Husbands, likewise husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. That's the part you need to focus on, so that your prayers, men, will not be hindered by ignoring and by defaulting on that incredible picture. Now, this is another picture, the incredible equality of worth before the, before the Lord. At the foot of the cross, the ground of le- is level, okay? You've heard that before. Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 and 28, unfortunately, has been so misused. If you look at the context, you're going to see this clearly, that this in no way is a support for women being in governing teaching roles as pastors of churches, but rather in terms of our salvation, in terms of the equality, not only, now watch how this works, not only of our worth, but also the the roles, while equal in worth, are never confused. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, there's the salvation, as many of you That's across the board. Men, women, children, you have put on Christ. It's a picture of salvation. And in that relationship of being in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Now, that doesn't stop people from being from a particular ethnic background. But in Christ, the same benefit. There is neither slave nor free. And even in that day, Paul did not say, Do away with it. That would come later on. There is neither male nor female when it comes to salvation in Jesus Christ, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Question. Because, you know, as I I teach through this, as I taught through this, The whole first part of my message originally was me thinking of objections. And I thought, why why start with objections? Why not start with the Word of God and just what it teaches? And throw it out there, say that this is from God, and let's try to unpack it as best we can so that we can know how to behave, how we ought to be, God is a God of order order in the life of the church. And so I thought of a question. Here's my first question of kind of a mild objection. How could God-ordained submission, which we've just read today, even if you haven't been with us over the past several weeks, it's pretty obvious. Women, learn in all submission and quietness. How could God-ordained submission possibly be seen as inferior? Let me tell you something. We're going to come back to this 
This is one of those areas where culturally and even it's crept into the church, there's going to be the phrase, maybe not worded exactly like this, but it will ask, has God actually said? Is your pastor just picking on women? Is your pastor mimicking the words of one who is seen by many as, and boy, there are so many new words and pronouns and things like that out there today, I can't keep up. But they would call Paul a misogynist. And that's not somebody who rubs your back. Misogynist, someone who is opposed, who has a, a predisposition against women, doesn't like women. All Scripture is God-breathed. Remember who ultimately is behind these words. And let me share with you how that can be true. Was Jesus Christ, God's Son, equal in value and worth to God, His Heavenly Father? Yes! Don't hesitate on that. That's the teaching of the Trinity that we talked about in the Apostles' Creed. Perfect equality, and yet in the Godhead there is this incredible submission. I don't get the impression reading through the New Testament that Jesus ever felt inferior. He knew that he had a God-ordained role, and he was fully willing to live in that role and to die in that role for the sins of mankind. So let me just say it again. So rather than be authoritative teachers of men, women, you must be learners being taught by God-ordained leaders. That could mean other women in a certain context. We'll get to that in a minute, but with a heart of quiet submission. Third point, women must not, must not teach or exercise governing authority over a man. Now, remember again, this refers to the assembly of believers, corporate gatherings. And this does not mean that a woman cannot teach at all. Women are commanded to teach. And in fact, women sometimes have this unique role of being able to instruct other women in a way that I simply don't have. And that's why Paul later on, someday we'll get maybe, the Lord willing, to the book of Titus and we'll see older women. What does that mean? Does that mean a woman in her 70s or 60s or 50s or 40s? Or th it could mean. Are to be reverent in behavior. Not slanderous or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and to train the young women. Look at that to love their husbands and children. What's the context of that? In the home, he's going to say it. Be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands so that the Word of God might not be reviled. Wow. Paul is telling Titus that where those things are not happening, the Word of God that the world is hearing that we believe can be reviled if they see the opposite of that happening among women. 
in the church. Now, what about outside the church? Take a risk. Now, God didn't command this, but it happened. There was a time when there was a young man, brilliant, mightily used of God, but he didn't quite have the right theology. Okay? This, too, is out of that context of, a, of, of, of Ephesians. So, his name was Apollos, and he's out there. He's just preaching the best he can, be acquainted with all that he's got, and a couple... This couple was mightily used of God as well, Priscilla and Aquila. They took him aside after hearing him, and they began to explain to him more accurately the Word of God. And once that happened, boom, he was out there really teaching, not only boldly, but also accurately. Now, another question, going back to the previous question, and again, it, it's something that grows out of a kind of objective. Why, we've just said that a woman is not to teach a man authoritatively to be a governing elder, a pastor, in the life of the corporate gathering of the church. Why would we ever feel compelled to think otherwise? Why would we say that this is controversial? In doing this study, um, I referred to several commentaries and things like that. And not a few of them said, now we come, it was interesting, now we come to one of the most controversial passages of Scripture. Why is this, I just wonder, why is this any more controversial than what Paul has already said in chapter 1 about men praying? Why is it any more controversial than in chapter 1 about there is one God and one mediator? Oh, that was chapter 2. Or that Paul was a recipient of the grace of God through the gospel. I don't remember any of the commentators ever saying, now this is controversial, but when we come to this, it's prefaced by the statement, this is highly controversial. Isn't it our goal as followers, men and women, young people, boys and girls, isn't it our goal as followers of Christ to discover what God's Word says about our unique God-ordained roles and then live that out by the power of the Holy Spirit? Isn't that what being a Christian is all about? Let me pose a couple of other questions to you. These are questions that have been posed to me, okay? What about when a woman is a gifted and outstanding teacher? Hmm. Shouldn't there be an exception? Hey, I've heard some of these women preachers, frankly, uh, if you listen to them, some of them are better preachers, maybe more gifted than men. So by virtue of that fact, gifted, they have the ability, outstanding teachers, shouldn't we just make that exception? 
What if a woman feels called? Isn't that legitimate? If she feels a calling to teach authoritatively to both men and women in the gathering of the church, or, now get this, on the mission field, where there are not many men. Folks, these are all questions that as I have been preparing for this and teaching through this now for the last, what, month or so with a couple of breaks, these are all questions that have been asked. Now, let me give my answer. What, by the way, what's my agenda? Only to tell you what I believe that God is saying here and for you to receive it and for it to do a, a, a great work among us. Let me first say this, and then I'm going to give an example. God applies this command across the board. In other words, it's not just cultural. He applies it across the board for all places and all times, and this has been the consistent pattern throughout the history of all of God's people, both Israel and the church. Some of you are saying, show me. Okay, I will. Moses and Aaron were chosen to lead Israel out of captivity. Uh, Pastor, don't forget Miriam. I'm not. She came along as a helper. Wow. Go back and read some of this history. But she never taught authoritatively or led. In fact, there are... Children of Israel were rebellious toward Aaron and Moses all the way through, but there were two distinct times when it was... Here's the question again. Moses and Aaron, has God actually said, you're the only ones? Now, first, it was just to Moses, and it was Aaron and Miriam who asked that. Hey, Moses, aren't we gifted? Aren't we talented? Can't we also lead? You know, whenever something like that, it, it's not that way now. So if you question me, I'm not going to say it's going to happen to you like this. Aaron got a rebuke. Miriam got leprosy. Just saying. If nothing else, it is an example now, there was another example. We don't need to park there and hunker down on that. Uh, another example of both Aaron and Moses, when a guy by the name of Korah rebelled. And guess what, he, guess what question he asked? Has God really said you guys are the only ones to be leading Israel? Hey, I got a whole company of men. These are, well known, these are men of renown in Israel. All of them are men of ability, they're men of wisdom, and Aaron Moses, you guys have gone too far. You, you've gone too far with your theology. And again, the reckoning was decisive. Go back and read it. By the way, you might want to jot down, I'm not, we're not going to park here on this, but it, it was just interesting that in my quiet time over the last week, Guess where we are? If you're in the, the year, yearly reading plan, you're in the book of Numbers, and I was in Numbers chapter 12, and then Numbers chapter 16, so write those down. Go back and look at those on your own. 
So that's one picture of history. Secondly, no woman ever served as priest from among the Levites or ministered at the altar. Thirdly, this is where an exception comes up. I've been asked about this, and this is an honest question. The judges were all men with one exception. Anybody remember who that was? Deborah. You go back and read that. This was a rare instance and she judged Israel, it never says that God ordained her to do so. It just gives the information, the narrative that she was. What's interesting to note in the life of Deborah, that when it came time for Israel to be protected from her enemies, what did she do? Anybody know? She got a man by the name of well, you can pronounce his name one of two ways. I'm going to pronounce it Barak. The other way to pronounce it is Barak. Barak, okay? She said, you go and gather the army. You lead the army. Now, he did say to her, I'm not going to go out unless you come along. She went along. So be careful of using an isolated narrative like that to support a whole theology that goes against clear teaching in the New Testament. No woman ever sat on the throne of either Israel or Judah except one. Anybody remember her name? Ooh, Athaliah. Go back and read her story, if you will. She was a pagan uh, she was the daughter of Ahab and perhaps Jezebel. Wow, she was a usurper of the throne. She killed all of her kids and grandchildren. Don't use that as an example for women preaching in the church. Bring it up. Right about the New Testament time. No women were elders, priests, rabbis. In any Hebrew synagogue, Jesus chose no female apostles. No females were appointed elders in the New Testament church. So that, that's just a historical travelogue through the, through the Bible. But let me give you an example of this and how it works. Talking about gifting and ability. What if a 12-year-old... Got any 12-year-old young men here? Okay. You're, you're pointing, but Matthias is saying no. Okay, he's almost 12. Okay. All right. What if a 12-year-old young man, and I know some 12-year-olds feel like this, far exceed their parents in biblical wisdom and spiritual depth by virtue of his ability his capacity, should he be allowed to trade roles with his parents and expect them to submit to him? Well, I'll just give you the obvious answer to that. Jesus at 12 far exceeded in, in some ways, except he was 12. He was still 12. The Son of God was 12. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? But remember when they took him to the temple and they go back, they assume that he's with some friends and he's not, and so they go back 
to find him, and they find him sitting at the feet of all of the, the teachers and the priests, and they're, they're shocked. They're all amazed at the wisdom. At, where did this kid get this? All who heard him were amazed at his understanding as, and his answers. And his mother rebukes him and says, we've been looking for you. He says this cryptic statement, I'm, I, I, did you not expect to find me in my father's house? Wow, that's some pretty deep teaching. But what did he do at the end? Did he say, Mom, Dad, you guys need to submit to me? Jesus did not do that. Listen, because he knew that in God's order, he has ordained roles to be fulfilled. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And look at the blessing. Hey, students, hey, look, look, look at me. And all of you look at me. There's always a blessing that comes from understanding our God-ordained roles and walking in those. Look at the spiritual benefit. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Children, do you want to increase in wisdom and stature, in favor with God, in favor with men? I hope you do. then understand your God-ordained roles and walk in them. Let's move on to this second big point, and we've got three sub-points under this. You ready? Verses 13 and 14, God's intent. Where does he get this stuff? Where does Paul get this kind of teaching? His intent for the roles, this is God's intent for the roles of men and women in the church, goes back to guess where? Creation. Three arguments. Number one, argument from the priority in the garden of creation. By the way, the most important word here, when you read through verse 11, let a a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness, not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. She is to remain quiet. The most important word in this section is the first word in verse 13, for, because. And that wipes out any, oh, this is just cultural. It was only for that time because you know the way women were back then. And they got bossy in the church, and so he had to quiet that down. But it's not for today. And that's what a lot of people say. And this word blows that thought out of the water. He says, here is why that command, those, it's, it's all a part of the same command, is so important. Because, and he gives three reasons. Do my best in the next ten minutes to unpack these. Reason number one, the argument from the priority of creation in the garden. Paul's teaching is not based on culture, I'm going to say it once again, but on creation. He goes back to the beginning. Watch this. We've already looked at this, Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord said, we know about the creation of man, and he was placed in the garden. We'll look at that a little bit further in a minute. But he says this, it's not good for a man that he should be alone. I will make a, help, help me out, helper, head and helper. God, God created man. His role is head. The woman's role is I will make, God said I will make a helper for him. And God loved everything that he's created. 
In fact, a little bit later on, he says, when he looks at this, the head-helper relationship, he doesn't just say it's good. He says it's very good. You got that? God says this is very good. The way God created man, the way God created woman for these particular roles. By the way, God didn't have a problem with this. The woman didn't have a problem with this. There was no sense of her feeling, no sense when you read this, of her feeling like a second-class person or inferior in any way to the woman. Why would we think otherwise? Ah, until who did have a problem with this? Come on. Satan, and we find out later it was Satan in the form of the serpent. Point number two, the argument from the reversal, watch this, of the roles in the garden and its terrible, terrible consequence. So, hear me. The issue is not women usurping man's authority. That's not the issue here. Did that happen in a way? Yeah, kind of. But that's not the issue, really. The, the, the issue is, is not her being, and I've read this, that a woman is more, more naturally susceptible to temptation. I, I don't think that that's what we see here. The problem that I see is role rever- reversal. You know the story, the serpent approached her. By the way, how did he get there? It's interesting because Adam was right there with her. We don't know exactly what they were doing or where they were going, but he approached the woman. Instead of going to the husband, he sought to speak authoritatively, and she began to reply to instruct authoritatively the serpent bad move. The guys, let me tell you something about Adam that I see, and there's been a lot written about this. He was there. That's obvious from the context. He, he didn't make a move to lead her or to intervene or to protect her even though that was his God-given role. Now, I've said that on several occasions. Can I back it up with Scripture? To instruct, to keep, to guard, to protect? Yes, the Lord God took the man. Now, this is all before the woman. Look at this. This is the role of the man, and it didn't stop once woman was created out of his side. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to do two things, to work it, to cultivate it. That word can also mean to instruct if you're talking about a a personal situation. Second thing, to keep it. There is no doubt that word can also be used as guard or protect. Adam's role was to cultivate and keep, instruct and guard. Not only the woman, but the garden. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, you, singular, 
may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Well, there was no one else there. Of course, it's singular. But that's significant. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So the command and the role were given both to the man. God planted the garden of Eden. Get a picture of this. He created the world. All of the beasts of the field are out there. All of the slithering things that walk along, that slither along the ground. And into this particular area, he builds, he plants a garden. The, the only thing that it says that he put there except for causing trees and bushes and everything to grow, plants, the only thing that he put there was man for him to cultivate and to keep the garden. Twofold job. And don't eat of the fruit, by the way. But that job also would later on apply to the single most important individual to whom the man related, his wife. Adam's role, guard the garden. I, it doesn't really say it, but I'm just, I'm just I, I, in reading this this last week, I thought, wow, he defaulted on his role to guard the garden by letting the serpent in. Secondly, he defaulted on his role as the instructor. I, I don't know what transpired, the instructor and protector of his wife. And if he hadn't told her before the serpent approached her, he should have pulled her aside if she had been properly instructed. What do you think she, what, women, what do you think she should have done when the serpent came up to her and said, has God actually said? What do you think she should have done? Oh, maybe something like what Paul is saying? Don't speak authoritatively. That's not your job. It's your husband's job. Be silent and defer to him. He should have been stepping in, saying, Honey, I got this. And let me share with you why. The command was given to me. I'm the federal head. The command was given to me, so let me answer the serpent. And folks, we can get into the what ifs, and we know what happened, and God has a plan in all of that. But let me just share this with you, and maybe to explode some of the things culturally that we get into. There was absolutely no controversy about the role of man and woman until the serpent came in. The roles were set. The roles didn't come about because of the fall. There was no controversy until it was introduced by the serpent. No controversy over job descriptions, distinction, worth until he said, has God actually said? And again, we can get into the what ifs. What if she had been silent, deferred to her husband? What if he had stepped in, taken his role as protector? Well, she didn't and he didn't. The consequence? Here's what it is. When, please, listen, when the woman, now again, young people, this is for you. 
This is for you growing up into a God-honoring young lady. Men, this is for you. When the woman stepped out of her God-ordained role, that's when she became highly vulnerable and fell into temptation. And man, when he stepped out of his God-ordained role, completed the perversion of God's order. God had given him the command and he disobeyed. And in that act of disobedience, he plunged the world into sin and the curse and the misery of that curse on sin. Let me just say this to, to, to all of you. And, and some of you have experienced this, okay? And, and that it, it, this is not just why it's true, but it's true. Following God's plan in this area and in every area. Following God's plan always is best. For us. Following God's plan is always best for us. Rejecting God's plan always leads to disaster. Can that disaster be redeemed? And everybody said, yes. Last point. Here we go. It's going to take more than 10 minutes, maybe 12. But you got to get this. What in the world is verse 15 talking about? Yet she will be saved through childbearing? Does that mean she's going to be born again? She's going to become a Christian because she has kids? No. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Okay? That cannot be the meaning. Other people have said, well, what this means is she's going to bear, Eve is going to bear a child and then bear a child and bear a child. And the, the, the prophecy is given in chapter 3 where the offspring of the woman will defeat the offspring of Satan, the Christ child. So is it talking about that? Redemption is going to come through the Christ child? Remember, we're not saved by his birth. As important as that is, we're saved by his death and his burial and his resurrection. That's the gospel. So while there may be an element of that, I don't think that's really what it's referring to. Here is what, if you look back at verses 13 and 14, look at that, particularly verse 14. The woman was going to be strapped with a stigma of that role reversal for all of life and all of posterity until she entered into the redemption of that stigma by virtue of her faith in Jesus Christ. And she comes back to her role. You see, no man can ever, listen women and men, no man can ever fulfill the role uniquely given to the woman. What was the command to the man and the woman when they were created? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And woman has a unique role in that of childbearing that a man can never have, he'll never know. I don't care what people outside the church are saying, and sometimes even in the church, heaven help us. A man can never fulfill that role. And among her many responsibilities, hey, we've got a lot of Proverbs 31 women in here, Go back and read that. And there are a lot of responsibilities that women have 
but the primary responsibility given by God from the very beginning was to be fruitful and multiply a godly offspring. And while the Great Commission tells us to disciple the nations, guess where that starts? In the home. In the home. And that's why the continuance for a believing wife, a believing mom, is faith, continued faith, continued love, continued holiness with self-control. And that's why this is so important. Now, let me just say this. This, this role that is being taught does not mean that God wants all women either to be married or to have children. Some have been specially gifted by God to serve without that in their own spheres. But what is clear from Scripture and from experience is that this is a general, sweeping, and glorious truth. Let me share one last verse. And here's a guy, the pastor at the Church of, Evidence, uh, of Ephesians, who was an evidence of this very fact. His father was a Greek. We, th- that could mean that he, as a Gentile he was not a believer. We just don't know. But, but look at the spiritual lineage of this young man who was the pastor at the church at Ephesus. He says, I'm reminded. Now, your sincere faith, where did that come from? Where did it come from? A faith that first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, in your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. What do you think had the most impact in Timothy's life? Preaching or the impact of a godly grandmother, a godly mother? I just don't, while there are a lot of other things that women can do, there is no higher aspiration than to see that faith fulfilled in the lives of your children. Let me pray. Father, I know that this is, uh, we've said it before because the question is always asked, has God actually said this? Today, I hope that in some small way we have said a resounding yes, God said this with the reality, the power of a God-fearing woman and, uh, Lord, the legacy of faith and love and holiness that they can leave through childbearing. Lord, I thank you for that and pray that you would help us all, not just the women in the congregation today, but all of us to see that this is gospel-saturated and that if there is anyone today who has never submitted themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, today would be that day. I would say, I, I see that I'm a sinner. I desire to turn away from that, to trust in Jesus Christ alone as my Savior and my Lord. And I pray that you would help uh, Lord, them to do that today, that no one would walk out of this place not knowing the Lord Jesus Christ personally. 
So, Father, help us now as we seek to apply all of this that we have learned today. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.